says, get that India, big boy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How's everyone doing tonight? We want to know how you are doing tonight. Who's enjoying this Eels win? My name's John. That's Craig. We're from the Common Fro. This is a tip sheet live from Jack's Bar and Grill. Craig, you got something to say about tonight, mate? We're into the third week of the finals. <laughs> And how sweet it is to be an eel supporter tonight. That's all I can say. 40 to 4. Yeah. So, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, given we had this great result, we couldn't get a better special guest than someone who was a part of the very first Eels Premiership winning team. He was a part of the last Premiership winning team at the Eels in 1986, 114 first grade games for the Eels, two origin caps, three jerseys for Australia, and there's only a very small group of Eels players who can say that they are Premiership winners. He's one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, John Muggleton. John, I've got to ask you, does this bring back memories being a Parramatta Leagues club after a game of footy? Well, it was a lot easier to get here than it was in 1981 when, uh, <laughs> when they had to park the bus out on Victoria Road out there and uh, because the crowd had taken over every inch between there and here. But, uh, you know, the feeling is much the same. Well, I think we know what it's going to be like if we can get two games further two more victories in this season and we might see repeated scenes of that in a couple of weeks time well I'll be down here if they if they win I'll, I'll, I'll certainly uh, and I think a lot of my mates will be down here from those teams as well um, because it's it's been too long too long for the Parramatta supporters that they haven't had a premiership and uh, I'd, ra I'd, I'd, I'd gladly hand over the last Parramatta premiership for that now, just looking at your first grade career, in that first year of our Premiership in 1981, you came into the team in the back half of the season. Were you aware that from the time that you came back, you came into the team in 1981, that we didn't lose a game that you played in? No, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, if I had been aware of that when I renegotiated my contract in 1982, uh, it might have been a it might have been a different uh, different uh, yeah different I, I, deal I, done a bit yeah. more cash. Well, yeah. Well. <laughs> Margo, are the memories from a year like 1981 such a special year, crystal clear, or was that campaign a blur for you? Well, to be honest. Um, my first full first grade game in 1981 was 
was the semi-final against Eastern Suburbs, which went to extra time. And I'd only been pushed into the second row halfway through the season. So, you know, I'd done a lot of tackling and a lot of running. And when it went into extra time, Jack brought on four fresh reserves. And I saw a vision of it the other day. They're all running on. And I look across and I'm thinking, thank God they're going to they're gonna replace me here. And they just went straight past me and my head drops. And there was another, another eight minutes to go. Now, just talking about that very first premiership win, when you're out there and you've won the title, what, did it mean something more that it was the Eels' first premiership win or was it just you've won the title, you know, like that's the main feeling. Uh, look, with blokes like Ronnie and, and Bear, who uh, were terrific examples of what Parramatta players had been over the years, and Pricey as well, leading us through, um, the fact that they'd lost two grand finals. I, I remember when Brett scored that intercept try and, and Ronnie and I walked back to halfway... He said, Muggo, I thought the world would just open up and swallow me when we won a premiership. That's how much it meant to them. Like, I was 21, so was Sturlow, so was Brett, uh, Eric and Stephen. Uh, Crow, of course, had been through the two grand final losses. Um, so to see what it meant to them uh, just magnified what it, what it meant to us, that we, we were able to help those legends achieve their lifelong dream to win a premiership. Well, you mentioned both being 21 and someone like Big Bob. Your contrasting pathways to that first premiership, you being so young, having those seasoned campaigners have that final breakthrough. Do you ever reflect back on the sort of the different journeys of that team? Well, I, I'd played first grade at Balmain before I came here. And as soon as I walked through here, actually, I, I played with Arthur Beetson and I played with Bob. The thing that that, uh, that I realised was at Balmain it was everyone for themselves uh, as soon as I walked through the door here those blokes helped me immensely in, in developing my football I, I was a centre, I could take the ball to the line and put a bloke through a gap, you know, because that's the way it had been brought up, but Bob O'Reilly taught me how to hit the line and offload after I was tackled and, and, and being a second ball playing second rower uh, that's, that's a marvellous skill to have and, and it was all because of the, the effort that they put into the young blokes and later in my career I tried to emulate that with the young blokes coming through. So talking about your development as a player, 1982 was a huge year for you, uh, another premiership title, origin footy, test matches for Australia, kangaroo tour at the end of the year. If you had to pick one moment or one achievement that year as like the highlight of that season, what would it have been? Well, I was lucky enough to be selected for Australia uh, and um, we, we were down against the Kiwis um, in Brisbane. They brought me on as a reserve, which Frank Stanton very rarely brought reserves on. I sat on the bench uh, and never got on for a... a uh, a, te a whole test match in, in the UK um, and I ran off a pass from, uh, from um, Craig Young and uh, was able to score the winning try and turn the game. So, yeah, that was pretty special in my first test. Du any chance of doubling it? 
the feedback's important. The feedback. Apologies, ladies and gents. All right. Margo, you missed the 83 decider, but you took to the field in the 84 loss before starting and packing in at the second row in the final premiership win. Prior to that game, and we've asked some of the other legends this question as well, did you think that that would be the last iteration of success for that Eels squad? Uh, definitely not. If, if you ask anyone who walked off the field that day that they thought it would be this long uh, until Parramatta won another premiership, we all would have said no. Um, but I, I think the loss of Price and his leadership to the forwards and the loss of Cronin... Uh, look, to be honest, I don't think the club recruited very well in the next couple of years and uh, that left us with a, with a bunch of ageing players who'd won a lot of games and, uh, and a lot of young blokes who, uh, who probably weren't up to it. Well, when we were talking to Pricey recently, the thing that he emphasised to us was how much he hated losing. Was that something that was evident to you as his teammates, just how much he hated losing? Well, I remember the, the first couple of games in 1986. Um, I think we went three games uh, before we lost a game and I was walking off with Pricey at the end of our first loss of the year and he said, oh, well, there's one of my targets gone for the year. And I said, what was that? And he said, going through the whole premiership undefeated. That, that was one of my targets for this year. So that was the competitive nature of Ray Price. He did hate losing. Um, Hated shouting as well. Hated putting his hand in his pocket. Um, <laughs> hated referees. Hates being old. <laughs> hates 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 a, a lot of things. Uh, but he's a very very individual man that uh, you know is is best taken in very small doses nowadays. <laughs> he's a man of many passions, most of them around uh, competitiveness. And a bit of hatred, eh? <laughs> Margo, a common theme that we've found from talking to players from the 70s and 80s, whether they were legends, regulars, legends, regulars, or just the blokes that got a run here or there, was the camaraderie, the, the holistic approach of the club from first grade, second grade, third grade, right down to the juniors, getting to know everyone and their stories. Everyone spoke about how those grades training together, bringing everyone together was such a special experience. What was that like for you? Uh, look, I, I probably spent more time with, uh, with Eric Groth and Steve Eller and, uh, and Sturlow than I did with my own brother. Um, we, we went to England for, for a season and they followed us. Like, you know, Neil Hunt and Eric and, and uh, Brett all, all were over there. We, we spent more time probably in Leeds at the Hunt's place than we, we did in Hull at, at our place. So um, I, I think the big thing was uh, that, that we, we just appreciated each other's ability and, you know, there were no big heads. Uh, mind you, if, if Jack... That was more to do with Jack. If you showed any sort of ego, uh, you're in big trouble. And, and the other thing too, you bring up the big man himself, but 
everyone speaks about the life lessons that Jack Gibson imparted on them, making them not just better footballers, but better men on and off the field. Yeah, I'm not sure that, you know, that everybody... Jack, Jack was different to everybody. Um, you know, he could be quite abrasive and, and he... It was either your way or the highway, um, which is the way he coached. Um, and it was... It was tough at times, you know, and and when Jack Gibson, you fell off the Jack Gibson bandwagon, it was very hard to get back on. Um, so one thing he did, he did give us all, and that was ultimate confidence. You know, he said to us, "I will never pick anyone to play with you that that I think's a bum." So every time he brought a bloke up from under twenty threes, which he did occasionally, you know. We treated them as first graders because they walked on the on the park. They were first graders, and and 99 times out of 100 they performed because they had the confidence that Jack put in them. Now we we were talking before, and you were listed at 86 kilograms, but you also said you played at 89. Was that at? Uh, did you say that was at Origin or uh, for Australia? Yeah, I wish I was 86 kilos now, but um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I played for Australia in the second row at 89 kilos, so I was under 90 kilos. Uh, I'd only changed from being a centre mid-season, um, so, you know, but mine wasn't a bash em up sort of style. My, my, I was a, a sp- supposedly skilled ball-playing se- running second rower, so I didn't need the extra weight and, unless... Uh, edgy complained in in the scrums one of the interesting things the reason that i asked that is that obviously the players are a lot bigger these days but a young bloke like jake arthur is probably playing it somewhere in that 87 to 89 kilogram range uh as as a halfback and he's considered a little bit lightweight as well out on the field it's a it's a big difference from uh then to now oh well, they're full-time professionals. We weren't. I had to go and teach all those kids that uh, watch me play every weekend. And if I had a bad game, I, you know, I was at Dundas Maris Brothers or Patrician Brothers Blacktown on the Monday, and I had eight eight classes of thirty kids telling me what a what a shit game I had on the weekend. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Now look, but everybody everybody's improved in in weight and size. The the blokes that we played against who were basically full-time, you know, they had a huge advantage. The modern fan can pretty comfortably envisage the back row and the centre swapping positions in the context of any given game. In fact, tonight we saw Murata near Corey out in the centres bagging a double. But it was a bit different in your time, wasn't it? The, the two roles were more easily defined or clearly defined. Did you prefer centre or back row and why? Well, you know, it's funny you say that, but... At the end of the 70s, it became the left and right centre. And the one next to the left or right centre was the left or right second row. So I, I went from being, a, you know, a, an average pace second rower to being, I mean, average pace centre to being a very fast second rower in one selection meeting. And I moved <laughs> one position on the right-hand side of the field. Um, so it, it wasn't too much different. The only, the only difference was... I was trying to put the bloke through the gap rather than having the bloke put me through the gap, which, uh, you know, it, it, it was very defined as, as, 
as left and right. And, you know, I played state under-18s uh, and Eric Groth was my winger. I was the centre. Eric Groth was my winger. Neil Hunt was a fullback. So, you know, as it went along, we just rekindled that two years later. Just finally reflecting back on that time, who was the best, first of all, the best forwards that you played with and against? Um, I, I, I think playing with the Bear and, and Ray Price is probably the best footballer I played with, but also played with uh, Craig Young, I thought was a terrific player. Les Boyd, when he wasn't taking people's heads off or <laughs> remove, removing parts of their, their anatomy, was a, a wonderful, wonderful player. And in the back, Steve Rogers, you know, they don't call him the uh, Prince of Centres. He, he was a magnificent attacking player, but he was also um, probably the best defensive centre, you know, going around. And in contrast to your contemporaries... Who in the modern game catches your eye, Margo? Oh, look, you know, there are a lot, lots of very good players around. Like, I think, I think next week we're coming up against Jason Tuomolomo and, and I think he is an exceptionally good footballer. If we shut him down, I think it'll go a long way. You know, he's, he, he gets metres, he, he can offload the ball... Um, he gets post-contact metres, pre-contact metres and, you know, he's a good defender as well. So I, I, I think he's, he's one that sticks out for me. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, there are... Uh, so... Since you finished with Rugby League, you took on coaching roles in Rugby Union. You've been renowned as a defensive coach in Rugby Union. Fundamentally, what are the similarities and the differences between League and Union defensively? Oh, I, think, uh, I think Rugby League, a lot more upright tackling. Uh, you can't hold people up in Rugby Union because people just come in, rip in behind them and... and uh, and, and they turn it into a mall and drive them forward, which, you know, it makes more yards for them and, and, and you'll end up giving a penalty away. Um, but as far as wide defence goes, they're pretty well similar nowadays, yeah. And, of course, we can't talk about your connection to Rugby Union without mentioning, I think it's the Rugby Championship now, but the Bledisloe last night, controversial finish. What did you make of it? Uh, I was a French referee, so obviously got no idea, yeah. Now, you would have had a bit of experience of French referees on a kangaroo tour, wouldn't you? Uh, we had um, we had one. One referee, yeah, in, and he was ordinary as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask me about the main difference between Okay, so what... Just looking now at wrapping up the past and today... What's the main differences between 81 and today? Oh, look, I, I think in the 80s, if, if Pricey or Edgy or somebody like that, you know, was representing the club and, and being at a function like this, people would listen. So, 
you know, that's supporters in those days were were very respectful of what we did and and uh, really supported us, you know. And as we said, they they were there all the way along for us. The the masses that came for the grand final had been there and been very respectful and supported us all through the all through the time. So let's turn to next game. Powerful first half from the Eels. Where did we start to get the edge over the Raiders tonight? Look, I, th- I think there were, t- there were two things. I, I-, I think that uh, we ran extremely hard and straight through the forwards and we didn't try any stupid offloads. We, we, Any time we offloaded, we were going forward. We weren't standing still. We didn't push the pass. It was a positive thing that we offloaded. Um, and I thought that, you know, our, our cover defence when we had to drift was very good. The only thing that, that, um, that worried me, I think we got away twice um, on the right-hand side defence on, on Wacker's uh, wing uh, from a couple of bad decisions there. So, you know, we need to once again sort that out for next week because, you know, in the next couple of weeks... We're going to play some very good sides and most of their attack is down that right-hand side against us. You know, if we play Souths, um, you know, we're going to get dusted up if we don't get that sorted. Now, John and I were talking straight after the game and one of the things that we felt was that the Raiders weren't willing to get into the collision. Do you think that's a fair call that... The Eels were willing to get into the collision. The Raiders weren't get willing to get into the collision. And there was a stark difference between the two in that first half. I, look, I, I think we just controlled field position and I think we changed things up. We went back down the short side, you know. Every kick-off, we usually hit it up and then go to Mika on, on the second play and he's never going to pass it on that play, so they they tend to line up and, and uh, get a shot on him. Whereas we played a bit differently. We got the centre field and had both sides to, to attack. So um, the defence couldn't, couldn't aim up. So I, I, thought, I thought we were just smarter than them. And, and that's, that's a good thing going towards the semi-finals. Last week... Last week... Is it going through? Last week there was a stark well there was a stark difference between some of the run meters between last week and this week. Like I'm thinking back to our spine. Uh, Gutho only ran something like about 60 run meters last week. Mitch Moses something like 22. Dylan Brown 50 odd run meters. And then you compare it to tonight. Gutherson 216 run meters. Dylan Brown. 276 run metres from Dylan Brown. Just unbelievable. Mitch Moses, 111 run metres. I mean, that is a stark difference between the two weeks. Obviously, there's a reflection in the opposition. The Panthers were really fast in their line speed, were shutting it down. But is it fair to say that our... Our spine brought their best game, or, or would you say that the forwards allowed the spine to play their best game? Well, being an old forward, I'd say it was the forwards all day. But if you look at those breaks that were made, it was after positive forward runs, um, the offload to 
uh, you know, for, from Junior to the try in the in the corner to Mitch um, was sensational. A um, couple of offloads early in the middle of the park to to Gutho, who who made 20, 30 metres there. Uh, but it was all positive on the front foot, offloads um, and punching holes in them. And as you punch holes in them, the defence contracts. And when the defence contracts, that's when we can get the ball out to those blokes and they make yards. And so just on that, you're talking about the forwards. Which forwards, which Eels forwards impressed you the most tonight? I, I, I thought Lane's discipline with his offloads was much better tonight. I think in the last couple of weeks when we've got into the second half, he's overplayed the offload and he's put people under pressure, whereas today um, he, he didn't do that. Uh, Nicky Cora, um, the other second rower, was outstanding tonight. There were times where he could have pushed the pass, could have pushed the pass and it would have been a 50-50 but he just made that extra three or four metres, turned them around better, and, and then we made breaks on the next play, which is what we've got to do from here on in. RCG, his run metres tonight uh, was 190. He obviously didn't play that sort of offload role with it, but how important... How important were those power-charging runs through the ruck that he provided tonight? Yeah, I, I'd love to see the um, I, I'd, I'd love to see the possession statistics because when you score tries, when you turn them around, when you put them back in their area, um, they off restarts, you get the ball back, and and we really turned the screws on them tonight. We didn't give them much at all. Uh, you know, very, very low error rate. Um, the referee found a few errors that weren't there. Um, but, you know, the, the more you control the game, the more you control possession, it's easy to get run metres because you're doing all the attacking and they're doing all the defending. And I thought that's what happened tonight. From a game like this, where it's so one-sided, is that good preparation for the Eels going forward to taking on the Cowboys up in Townsville next week? Well, I, I think there's only two areas of concern. I think if we take the same game plan in and really go at them, I think the last 10 minutes of the first half, we looked very tired um, and, and we, we made a few mistakes there. So we've got to, got to make sure that we know that that's going on um, and then correct it, you know, G ourselves up. And uh, the other side's that left hand, uh, right hand side defence. So, you know, if we can, uh, if we can work on those two things, uh, we'll, we'll be fine. Look, last week, you know, I know everybody was disappointed, but the first half we were we were outstanding. The second half, I thought the only thing that we did wrong was when Penrith got on the front foot and had us in big trouble. We should have just laid all over them and given away two points. We let them play the ball. We were too honest. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's better to give away two than six. And, and the, way they, they, the, the way they supported each other tonight, even if we get somebody put in the bin, that character will make up for it in that ten minutes and that'll be, that'll be a major thing for us next week. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise because 
all of this season, the Eels have been rated as, I, I believe, the least penalised team in the competition. We have the slowest play the ball speed, or, or no, probably not the slowest play the ball speed, but quite often we allow the opposition to get a faster play the ball speed than we do because we're playing it clean. We don't wrestle as much. We don't hold them down. We make sure we minimise penalties, minimise set restarts. Are you an advocate of that or, or do you think the odd uh, penalty or maybe that, as you said, a, a sin bin is, is worthy of taking the chance? Oh, you, you have to. You have to. Like, you, you just can't give up um, points in, in a semi-final. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that, that we always worked on is if you keep the opposition... Um, the scoreboard from ticking over for them, um, they'll get more nervous than you will. So put, it always puts pressure on them when they're not getting points. So it, it's really important. I, I notice I've never seen a Parramatta player, um, and I've watched almost every game this year, I've never seen a Parramatta player do a one-on-one -on -one strip where there's two of them in there and there's a call and they drop off and then the other bloke strips it. It's not a bad thing, but it's, it's one of those things that in the semi-final can be, you know, Melbourne have won premierships off that sort of stuff. They're the best in the competition. So, you know, it's one of those things that, that are under big pressure, other teams are able to do, that, that we've got to, you know, maybe make that part of our arsenal. Maybe that's something that's going to change next year with Josh Hodson joining the team because he's renowned for those going for those strips. Um, now, just there's a lot of, been a lot of talk this week that the Parramatta Eels don't have an elite game breaker, an elite winner. We don't have a Tedesco. We don't have a Trebojevic. Um, we, we don't have a Latrell Mitchell. And that the suggestion is, therefore, that we don't have the sort of roster that could win a premiership. In your opinion, have we got the roster to win the competition this year? Well, you know, when you look at that last week, Tedesco gets knocked out, they're, they're gone. Like, you know, they, they're, 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 they're all so reliant on an individual. Look at Manly, didn't make the semis without Tommy this year. I'd rather have um, a pair of halves who work hard for each other and, and the other blokes and a pack of forwards that work together. And that's what we've got. You know, we've got a bit of, bit of X Factor. Mick has um, offload today down the sideline for the try. You know, everybody thinks he can just score tries. Um, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have a champion team than one or two champions. Uh, and you look at South last year... They rely on Luttrell so much when he had that cheap shot and got um, got suspended. That was South season. So, yeah, now, it's nice to have him. Peter Sterling didn't win many games by himself, but he, he won games by getting the best out of those players around him, and that's, that's what made him a champion. Well, then, my next question is... Is there any player in the Eels team that could be that genuine X-Factor? 
I believe that someone like Dylan Brown, if he is in the game, because it's a, you know he's accused of floating in and out of games. If he's in the game, he could potentially be that that game breaker, that match winner for the Eels. Yeah, well, a game breaker and a match winner usually does one or two things exceptionally well and takes one or two really, really good opportunities. So drifting in and out of the game, sometimes when you drift in and out of the game, you put the opposition to sleep and they they stop worrying about you and then all of a sudden you you pop up for the big play. And we saw that with both our halves tonight came up with big plays by getting a second touch on the ball. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about that. You know, we, we've got lots of players who can make the big play. Um, we've, we've just got to make sure we support each other and keep the ball going forward. It's a, it's a north-south game. It's not an east-west game. All this passing sideways, sideways, sideways for nothing is just rubbish. Goalposts are down there. So you've got to go north-south. Okay, so now we we come to the right now. Can the Eels beat the Cowboys up in Townsville? Can the Cowboys up in Townsville? Look, there's no doubt if we put another 80-minute performance in like today, and and we we keep we keep disciplined. We, we've got a forward pack that's as good as those. We've got two halves that are going to get the best out of those forwards. And, look, Panasini at centre is going to be one of the Parramatta greats over the, the next couple of years. Let's... let If the forwards keep punching holes in him, bringing him in and giving him space, then he'll do the job for us. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt that if we play like we did tonight for full 80 minutes, we'll get the job done. Finally, John, are we almost at that point? Can we dream? Can we dream that the drought is over? Uh, Look, dreams can come true. Dreams don't come true. Like, they put in the hard work this this week. They prepare well. They put in the hard work over the next couple of weeks. That's what it's all about. They've got the ability to do it. They need to be disciplined, they need to be forceful, they need to take it to the opposition. And there's no doubt that we can't win the competition. We beat them all before. You know, we, we've beaten all the top teams, so it's just a matter of, you know, turning up on the day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've enjoyed having celebrations in here tonight. Thank you for coming along tonight. Thank you to everyone who's come along this year for our Cumberland Throw podcasts. And how about a massive round of applause for Eels legend, John Muggleton. Thank you, everybody. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush home to watch Ricky Stewart's... Uh, press conference I uh, I can't wait to see what that dickhead's come up with as an excuse uh, but it, it'll 
It'll be somebody else's fault. It'll be some, some official's fault. It won't be his shit coaching, that's for sure. <laughs>